Ladies and gentlemen, this is your places call. All right, everybody, back to one. Stand by lights one and sound one. Camera speeding. Audio speeding. Lights and sound. Go. And action. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back, everybody, to Pretend World's Real People, a podcast by arts workers for arts workers about arts workers. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Tyler, and you'll hear Steph here in just a second. Unfortunately, our... (laughs) Our intro file was corrupted, so I'm going to do this one on my own and make it seem like there's just enough fanfare to seem like there's two people on the intro. We have an incredible guest here on the show this week. She is a producer, a writer, and an actress. She's produced shows like Carol's Second Act, Good Girls, The Mare, Blackish, and she is one of the writers of Booksmart, one of the best comedies to come out in the last 10 years. Please welcome... Sarah Haskins. Sarah, how are you? Hi, Sarah. Good morning. Hello <laughs> to both of you. <laughs> are you, you're in LA, right? I am in Los Angeles. Okay, so you're How you're cold is it there home. right now? It is, well, here's the thing about Los Angeles. To any person living in an area with like an actual winter climate, the answer would be not cold. <laughs> But yeah. after you move to Los Angeles over a period of years, you become a sissy. So that's what I've heard. <laughs> I'm in a sweater. It's probably like low 60s right now. And totally. Uh, yeah, I just uh, quickly took my dog for a walk and it is one degree outside yep. here in Colorado. So I'm a little, <laughs> I got those rosy cheeks right now. <laughs> you know, your listeners can't see you, but everyone's complexion is lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Just rosy and fresh and healthy. Well, we're, I just I'm gonna awake. I'm glad that it's 60 there. I'm gonna I'm gonna dream of it being 60 here and and try to take on some of that. That <laughs> yeah. seems so comfortable right now. Thank you. Right. <laughs> that's that's sunbathing weather over here. And it's and you'll see people in like North Face coats walking oh. their dogs. Oh my it's, god. That's hilarious. I love it. <laughs> so uh Sarah, we we know you as a producer and a writer and a comedian, uh, but for our listeners who maybe haven't heard of you, can you uh, give them a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, My name is Sarah Haskins, and I would describe myself as a comedy writer, and I write for movies sometimes, and mostly for television. And that is where the, the producer side comes into, because there's a weird overlapping function of the roles where if you are a writer on a television show after a certain number of years you also become a writer producer interesting yes all right so you're wearing a couple different hats huh yes and i i don't know where that came from i mean writer television is a writer's medium Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so you do have more production responsibilities than you would in the feature world okay but yes, the, the producer doesn't come. I'm not like producing stuff all the time. Right. Jazzy. <laughs> the producer title comes from the writing. Lowercase uh, p, not a capital P. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is interesting, though, because we had a friend of mine on as a guest who is a producer for um, a theater in Boston. And I'm curious, what does lowercase p producer mean um, in the film industry, especially since it's kind of tagged on to your, you know, uppercase W as writer. <laughs> it's tricky. It can mean so many things because there are producers who write like mm-hmm. myself. There are non-writing producers. There are producers who are money people. There are producers who are physically like the people who do the actual work and like put together the crew and the sets and like get everything going. So it can mean a thousand things. Okay. Yes. And Basically, you have to understand someone's specific job function to understand like what form of producer they are. So producer for you is just more like because you're the writer, you have script oversight and privileges, I'm assuming, or... And extra responsibilities for the actual production. Like on a television show, the the writer of the episode or the showrunner will frequently go to the production meetings and talk about costumes and sets and stunts and what's coming up and locations and all that other like fun stuff that is more about the physical production very cool how did you uh how did you get started into this part of the uh the industry i know you know you went to to harvard and i know you've you've been writing for a while but uh what was your first uh you know like writing producing project like if you can think back to that that first experience i mean in 
eighth grade, I used several Barbies and Playmobiles to act out a small documentary called Women of the Revolution with my friend, uh, Phaedra Coleus. And we laughed so hard, we could barely get any content out. Um, it was, t- but no, uh, that's that's sort of joking. That's going way back. I, I <laughs> but can't... if there was a video of it, please tell me it's somewhere that we could see it. <laughs> well, the bit was like, they all kept getting hit by this Barbie horse. Like they'd be like, I'm Abigail Adams. And then a horse would hit them. And we would just like lose our minds laughing. Um, no, uh, I came from theater. Awesome. Like you guys. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was with second city, Chicago and improv Olympic in Chicago and came from a theater writing sketch background. So when you're doing that, you're, you are also a producer, you know, you're writing, you're producing and you're putting up your own sketch shows or your own improv shows. And that's kind of where I started, started, or that's when I was doing it, like with an eye for it to be my profession. Mm. And I'm guessing you were, you were performing a little bit too. Oh yeah. Bits, right? No, no. I, okay. I want, I started out as a, like a more of a writer performer type. That's What is it like being in second city? I mean, it's, it, it's this phenomenal organization and, and they put out so much awesome stuff, but, and you hear about people like Tina Fey and whatever, who have kind of started there, but as someone um, that we get to really talk to about it, what was that like? I mean, I think what's interesting is first to look at Chicago as a whole Mm -hmm. because Chicago has like such a vibrant, awesome theater scene. Mm -hmm. And second city is like a major pillar of the comedy community, but there are also other theaters in town like improv Olympic, which is now shuttered, I think sadly. And, um, but all those like, and the annoyance theater, and there was this theater uh, like more of a co-op theater I worked at called the playground, but they all overlap and like everyone's kind of doing everything. Um, so Second City is the one that pays because it's an equity stage. Sure. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, should, I, I was not on the main stage or the ETC, the two main stages, but I did tour with them. But there is something exciting about being part of a comedy community with such a history. Mm. And it sort of gives you, or gave me, I can't speak for everyone, a sense of assurance that like this was an actual job you could do. And I think that's why people gravitate towards it, that right? Like really cool. you see people you look up to, like I, I deeply admire Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and Stephen Colbert. And so I could look up to them and see their career paths and say, okay, yeah. I'm, I can try to mirror this career path or there's a way that this thing I love to do can become something that will also sustain me and give me food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, when did that, when did that shift when you, uh, went closer towards the the creative portion of it and just the writing portion of it uh that was in los angeles okay i ended up becoming more of a writer and less of a performer um part was just starting out again in a new city and having to like get into new performing communities and i didn't totally have the the driver the energy to do it again right when i got here and then like i had kids and that you know and then i went to bed at like eight like all of those things <laughs> make it a little yeah. more difficult. Um, but I came to LA with a job for a television station that no longer exists, a TV channel. So also I had a job that was creative mm-hmm. and that really mm-hmm. fulfilled me. That's really cool. Do you miss performing at all? I think I do. I think I miss performing, but now I'm a little scared of it sure. because, you know, you, you get used to putting yourself out there and now you're now I'd be like, oh, very conscious of what I was doing. Whereas, you know, there was a time when it was nothing to me. Right. That might actually work in your favor though, you know, as far as how how comedy has extended in the last decade or so where, you know, you can act sort of self-conscious on stage and like, that's a good bit. That, <laughs> that, that works. How, how'd you come up with that? Like, I, I don't know. Just out of sheer anxiety and fear. You know? <laughs> uh, so I actually wanted to ask you about... Um, you know, writing for for the screen instead of writing for for television. Do you have a? I mean, I'm not sure if you have a preference if it's based on work, but uh, do you have you know a multitude of feature scripts you've written that you're waiting to get produced, or are you more focused on the television aspect of it? Yes, that's a great question because they're two very different businesses. Although with the advent of streaming and how the streaming services produce both TV and film, that could change. So Mm. this is a very currently early 2021 perspective on this. Um, So I have a writing partner, which is an important thing to say. You're only seeing like half of the team. I'm half of the team. My writing partner is Emily Halpern and she's fantastic. And we started 
in features. We wanted to write a screenplay together. And then that screenplay was Booksmart. I took that screenplay 10, 11 years to come out and be an actual film. Wow. Quite a roller coaster journey. So we had sold Booksmart and were in the process of like it was bouncing from producer to producer and we were rewriting it and also looking for other feature jobs. And it just became apparent like the feature world moves so slowly. And Emily had had experience in TV. She had actually come in on the drama side and written for like the unit, like a David Mamet military drama. (laughs) We're very tough military types. Yeah. (laughs) And then she had also written, was then running for private practice, which is one of the Shonda Rhimes empire shows. So Mm -hmm. she had had experience in TV and we were like, let's give TV a try. And what was refreshing about television is that they kind of give you a no faster. Whereas in the feature world, you can go a long time without hearing a no, or things can sort of lapse and be reborn. It's happened to Booksmart so many times, but it was it was nice to know that you would complete a project and someone would say like, this is happening or this is not happening. Don't think about it anymore. It's gone forever. And you'd be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about Booksmart for the listeners maybe who haven't heard it or heard of it or whatever, and maybe how that started and... Sure, absolutely. Um, Booksmart is a hilarious teen comedy that everyone should rent and purchase through their home computer devices. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you for allowing me to shill. Absolutely. (laughs) Booksmart is a great example of how this business involves so much patience and luck. Mm. Um, Emily and I wrote Booksmart when we both had our day jobs. And we started writing together. We had been like friendly in college. Like I met her when I was a senior and she still had a year to go. But then we, you know, had gone our separate ways for eight years and just had a dinner together and both felt like we wanted to write a teen comedy that embraced the the woman, the girl's perspective. Mm-hmm. Because they were so much like all about boys wanting to get laid in one night. And we were like, but that wasn't how we lived mm-hmm. and that wasn't our teen perspective even though we wanted all the same things that teenagers want we wanted boyfriends we wanted to be popular we wanted to go to parties but we were overachieving nerds um so we were like let's write that movie so that was the genesis of the project and it sold for like wga minimum once we finished but I think people really reacted to the voices of Molly and Amy because they felt fresh and they felt real. And I think maybe tapped into, you know, a segment of the population that wasn't being represented in the typical teen stories. Uh, And then it just Booksmart went on a wild ride. It was bought by Natalie Portman's production company. They sold it to a studio called Fox Atomic. Fox Atomic folded. Mm -hmm. Then it was it, it quote unquote, big Fox. Big Fox is not really the place for a movie like this. Mm. Then some other stuff. Then there's like some things I might've forgotten. Like some <laughs> years, there's some dark years. But it was resurrected by uh, Annapurna Films, which is an independent you know, studio. Yeah. And Annapurna, we worked on it a little for Annapurna and then they sort of moved on and they wanted a writer director to come in and do a pass. So by then like Emily and I were, basically our most intense involvement in Booksmart was done. Like we had written multiple drafts and sort of it had been hanging around for many years. And then they brought on a wonderful writer director named Susanna Fogel and Mm. she did a pass and then she moved away from the project. And then they brought on Katie Silberman, another fantastic screenwriter and Olivia Wilde to direct. And I don't know what order those two women came in. So the script changed drastically. through each iteration and each person's vision but what I love about the finished project is that so often in Hollywood as your creative piece goes through the sausage mill it can become less than or different Mm -hmm. than and I think Em and I really felt like everyone coming on board made it better that's awesome like everyone ultimately got it yeah so it's not our words it's not necessarily even our plot as originally envisioned but it is the spirit and the essence of Molly and Amy, those two characters and what they're looking for. That's very cool. And it's, it is truly, I, I agree immensely that it's, it's a wonderful film and growing up in, you know, the mid two thousands where super bad was like, you know, one of my only go-tos for, for teen comedies. When I watched Booksmart, I felt, you know, 
the, these characters are more relatable than the characters from Superbad. Mm-hmm. You know, because much like what you're talking about, I I was a, an AV nerd in high school, just editing short films and then going to see movies at midnight on the weekends, like not really doing a whole bunch. Um, so thank you for for writing characters of of that caliber that we can we can relate to more than you know the usual just hey let's let's find somebody we can you know up with. Uh, <laughs> thank uh, you and i and i love super bad too like i mean yeah those, oh it's know. hilarious yeah yeah it's uh, uh i do want to ask as far as um you know uh, furthering on your your writing career have you done any sort of you know uh ghost writing or uh any sort of projects where you're you know you're you're going to the project you're you're writing a uh, a version of the piece but then it's going back into that sausage mill. Have you have you done any sort of ghostwriting in that sense, or has it mainly just been something you are part of the you know final product of? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. You know, I think I think we were not. You know, we weren't like on set for Booksmart. Like at the end, this is very much like Olivia and Katie's baby. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm sorry if you hear weird noises. My dog is both drinking water <laughs> and now chewing blankets but i heard one of your guests had chihuahuas so yep, i feel like so you're good yeah oh yeah <laughs> dogs you're welcome yeah um no i think uh on a tv show it works a little differently where you are working to execute the showrunner's vision so when emily and i have been on staff on different shows like our job is to do what's best for the show and not necessarily be like this is our chance to shine like it's still creative but you are you're working to something more defined mm-hmm. yeah but that's not ghostwriting. That's just like, no, you're hired for a purpose. And the purpose is to create an episode of X. Right, right. And work yeah. with other people to make that collective vision happen. Yeah, Are you, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just saying, it's, it's, um, it's something I, I wanted to clear up for some, some people I've had, you know, reach out as far as what the, what the business is like mm-hmm. writing for TV and, and film. So thank you for that. Appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, happy to. And I can I can talk as boringly and, and dryly <laughs> as you like about the various stages. But yes, there's there's a difference. There's a difference also between also every show is different because every showrunner has a different personality and a different creative style. So while there are general themes in TV that work, rooms can be very different room to room. Mm. Right. Are you allowed to talk about your early iterations of Booksmart and what that what your plot was versus what it became, or is it kind of hush hush because? Oh, I don't think. Yeah, not like banned. It it is okay. sort of like the end of, like ours was a little more throughout the second semester. Okay. And ended at prom, and theirs was more like the night before right. graduation. Okay. Um, but it was still sort of Molly and Amy questing. Right. 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 Okay. Um, yeah. Cool. And, but we had so many iterations like there was a time when a large part was devoted to molly being cast as a boy in guys and dolls <laughs> like devastated. that's awesome um, which was pretty <laughs> yes because i was cast i always in like the high school musicals was cast as like the gym teacher in west side mm-hmm. story like well who gets cast as that mm-hmm. you know i was frequently a woman of the night <laughs> frequently i love it um so can you move into a little bit more about writing for tv and how that's different i mean i when i think of tv writing i'm thinking of you know you hear the terms writer's room and you know you picture five or six people around a table and you know developing every episode is that kind of accurate or is that just what tv makes it seem like no, that's, I feel like that's generally the truth of what's happening. Okay. Now it's, you know, five to 12 people in, in their bedrooms on Zoom. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> which is a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it is, most of my, my experience, yes, has been in network television. So that is, the writer's room is the consistent model. And you will get a group of people depending on the budget of the show. And I would say for network comedies they tend to be larger right because you want like t- ostensibly the idea is more more head more brains mm-hmm. more jokes um more head what's that mean more brains <laughs> more brains i'm there a very smart person yes so but like 10 to 12 people the showrunner is the person who was responsible for the overarching vision the tone the characters they probably wrote the pilot by themselves and then possibly wrote the second episode largely by themselves or with input but did it by themselves because they are setting the tone 
in building the show from the ground up. But the writer's room becomes essential because there's so much work on a network show and you're doing so many episodes that while the showrunner can lead, it really is up to the room to collectively build this vision. Um, the showrunner frequently has like a quote unquote number two mm-hmm. or a writer they rely on, you know, a little bit more to run the room and, you know, execute story breaking when it's happening while they have to go deal with like other showrunner responsibilities. But yeah, it is like that. And you're, you're in that room. And most of the time, most rooms tend to break episodes together, which is to, you know, to break an episode is to figure out the plot line, act one, act two, act three, significant moments. Some rooms go very, very detailed and break it down to like, and in this scene, this is the beginning of the scene. And then here are some funny jokes for the middle of the scene. And this is going to be the blow to the scene. So some rooms go all the way to that level of detail together. Some rooms have a looser outline and then writers are frequently sent off to write alone. Oh, okay. Interesting. To write a draft. And then yeah. the draft goes back to the room and the room or the showrunner, but then the drafts kind of becomes community property. Right. Like you do your draft. Again, this is also caveat city. Every room is different. Sure. And showrunners can take the draft right away. Different things happen. It sounds like the perfect balance of chaos. <laughs> yes. Does it sound chaotic? That's so funny. It's uh, right. But so with a, with a network show that has an order for 18, you know, there's a lot of different episodes in the air at once. You know, there's probably someone off on script. There's probably someone whose episode is shooting. There's probably mm-hmm. an episode that's an outline stage waiting for network notes. There's an episode mm-hmm. that there's a stage called story area where you give the network like a one page summary of what you intend the episode to be about. And the network says, that's not enough information. And then you're like, right, cause it's not an outline. And then mm-hmm. the network's like, hmm, give us more information. <laughs> so then you like basically write an outline and then you give it to them. They're like, this is very long. And you're like, yes, no, correct. Sorry, that's my, that's my beef with the process. I, I, love love it. I was waiting for that. <laughs> there, there are just lots of steps and lots of stuff going yeah. on. So there yeah. is a bit of chaos, Tyler, you're totally right. Yeah. Uh, have you primarily worked in, you know, a, uh, I guess 16 to 22 episode structure, or have you worked on any of those limited series um, structures as well? We've, we've been mostly on network comedies. So okay. we've had limited, limited runs for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> like the show gets canceled after eight episodes, but not intentionally high, not intentionally limited series. Yeah. Well, I did want to ask you, how did uh, Trophy, Trophy Wife come about? What was the uh, the inception of, of that show with Malin Ackerman? Oh, um, thank you for asking. Uh, Trophy Wife is based on my life. I married a guy who's older than me and had been married, had kids from different marriages. Oh. And the, the title is intended to be ironic because mm-hmm. I dove right in and wanted to be part of the family and part of raising the kids and... You know, we had a situation, not totally, totally like the show, but it was like, so how do you tell a story about a very modern blended family where all the adults are very different, but what they all want is what's best for the kids. Mm. Mm -hmm. So that was the idea. And I think maybe Emily was just like sick of me talking about my problems. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, but we were like, this is a show and... So we pitched it and we sold it to ABC. And then we were lucky enough to, since we had not run a show before, frequently you will be paired with like an older, mm-hmm. more experienced showrunner. Um, and so we were paired, or we met with different writers and we ended up working with these two wonderful guys, Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stipnitsky. And they had been in the office for a long time. So they knew their way around producing a television show and they got it right away. They got what we were going for. The sensibility and so we had we had a blast That's awesome. wow it's yeah. and it's a shame that it didn't go on uh, <laughs> i agree because i have a lot to process <laughs> and i miss having a show to process it in mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a joke but it was, it was so <laughs> um no and the cast was like phenomenal and they were wow. all, all great people like it was just such a gem like the actors on that show Marsha Gay yeah. Harden, Bradley Whitford, Michaela oh. Watkins, Malin, Albert Tsai, Ryan Lee. 
Yeah. You had, you had I mean, a, it was, it was all stars, all yeah, stars, a full roster of amazing talent. And yeah. it's just, it's, I'm a huge fan of shows that, you know, tend to you know, get cut off before they're, they're mm-hmm. due. So I have a whole collection of shows like surface and party down that oh, yeah. lost their luster yeah. <laughs> or lost their, uh, their run. Um, sorry, Steph, were you going to oh, say no, something? you're fine. No, I mean, you're, you're the one that follows all you're the, the film aspect of this. I'm just listening. Cause it's interesting to me. Um, <laughs> I'm so, I'm so not uh, on top of what happens in LA. Um, but I am curious, what is that? What do you feel like the main reasons are for good shows getting canceled, not having a second or third season? That's another great question. Again, different from show to show. I think mm-hmm. Trophy Wife's problem is it premiered at the precipice where people were stopping or like a transitional phase mm-hmm. where people were stopping appointment viewing TV regular style yeah. and they were moving on to the world of binging or streaming or watching on demand. So Trophy Wife started with ratings that were never great, but today would be like blockbuster. Like we started with like a 2.0 or 2.1. And by the end of the season, we were more like 0. 0.9, 1.0, like, cause you don't have the same surge as you do right. on premiere yeah. week. Those ratings would also be acceptable today, but they mm-hmm. were not acceptable eight years ago. Right. So I think we sort of just premiered at a, at a transitional time. Is there a possibility that you could transition it into a streaming, to a streaming network and kind of reinvigorate it? Oh gosh, that would be such a dream. But of course, everyone, all the, the cast is so busy. And yeah. Talented. I mean, they're all on like new stuff and yeah, but yeah, it was, it was, I'm very grateful for that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am curious, do you have any writing influences, um, you know, as a, as a comedic writer, anybody who you, whether it's, you know, someone from maybe Second City or maybe a writer from SNL, uh, if you have anyone who directly influenced you in the saying, uh, like, I, you know what, I'm going to do this. This is something I want to do. Oh, that is such a wonderful question. I would say certainly mm-hmm. Tina Fey was a mm-hmm. massive, massive and important influence on me. And I loved her style and her tone and her, I love 30 Rock. Uh-huh. Uh, as a younger kid, I loved Irma Bombeck. I don't oh. know if you guys know who Irma Bombeck is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's the, it's the little comedy. It's like mundane comedy of suburban life. And I, don't, I just loved it. Um, even mm-hmm. as a kid, which is so funny. Like what a weird thing for me to read at like nine years old at my grandma's house and be like, this is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess as I've always gravitated to people who can exploit the little hilarities of the day-to-day. Um, and then Tina Fey, I also love because she is able to take satirically such great swipes at bigger issues, but keeping it funny. Right. I really love the films of Adam McKay. I'd love to mature into yeah. someone who could do that politically and comedically. Like I think Vice is so brilliant and The Big mm-hmm. Short is so brilliant and the work he does is so cool. And he also came out of Chicago. Oh, okay. Came out of Second City, UCB, like they, that that group of people was an outgrowth of like a Chicago community. So yeah, those I mean I love Amy Poehler. Yeah, and they're people I love to watch. I love to watch Kate McKinnon. Oh yes, I love to Hero. watch Kristen Wiig. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Did you overlap with them when you were in Second City? Like, did you actually work with them at all, or not really? No. Okay. Um, I was in the middle. Okay. Yes. Got it. Yes. Like Amber Ruffin was there at the same time mm-hmm. I am. And she's okay. so amazing and the coolest person. That's I, cool. uh, it's funny you say Kate McKinnon. Cause I feel like she's the, she's my spirit animal in so many different ways. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's just a, a comedic genius. Yes. And, uh, uh, we usually, I mean, the, the advice thing will definitely come later on in the episode, but I'm just going to be selfish right now and ask you, uh, as somebody who, you know, has written, you know, feature films, has developed and created you know, written TV shows. Uh, what is your best piece of advice for somebody like myself who is out of the industry, working on their own projects, you know, written a bunch of features, written a bunch of TV shows? What, right now, what do you think is the best way to get your work noticed outside of just putting it on YouTube? Is there anything you'd recommend or uh, just more of the waiting game since we are in the middle of a uh, pandemic? 
Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm thinking about that question because I think it kind of has two answers. Because mm. the first begins with another question, which is, what do you want? Mm. No, so, I mean it. Like, what do you want? Oh, do you're you want generally asking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, at, at this moment, I'm working on two shows that were uh, trying to get developed by a major streaming service I can't mention right now. So there's something in the works. Uh, but as of right now, you know, I want to sell, you know, my, my comedic feature scripts that are, you know, of an independent budget range. They're very small and, uh, you know, try and get my spec scripts for other shows I've tried writing for read to see if I can even get an assistant job in the writer's room, uh, which right now is a little, you know, harder to do since everyone is at home and no one's in a quote unquote writer's office. So uh, yeah, that's my trajectory. Okay. So that's because the thing is like the advice to me always depends on concretely what you want or else it ends up being cliches (laughs) and trite and like a little, so the fact that you have something in the works is excellent. And I think your next step is to use those things in the works to leverage, to get yourself representation. Mm because that provides you a broader lay of the land, more introductions. If you wanted to go into a writer's room, I don't know if you would even go into an assistant level. If you've been able, you could be hired as a staff writer. Um, So there are different kinds of concrete steps. Like the most important thing is that you're, you're still making your own creative projects. Like that's sort of how to do it, right? Like when we wrote this movie, we were, Emily and I were just here Mm. and we wrote it. And I didn't, she had an agent at the time who was like, no one's going to like this YA crap, like totally dismissive of the project. (laughs) Oh no. And yes, was like, why don't you write like a children's book? Like basically it was so condescending. And I was talking to an agent who had seen some web shorts I had done. And I said, well, you know, I do have this, this movie script we're about to finish and sent to her. And her assistant read it, and totally ironically, back to the guys and dolls thing, her assistant had been cast as a boy in Guys and Dolls. <laughs> and it had that plot device. But so, like, I guess that is a very long-winded way of saying, if you build it, they will come. Perfect. But also, as you are building it, I think you should always be looking for representation. It's not 100% necessary, but it definitely helps, especially if you're entering more of the traditional business model production places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make awesome. sense? Oh yeah, totally. Thank you for indulging yeah. me. I, I figure, you I, know, I, I, I was going like to wait, indul- but. <laughs> You're indulging me. I'm talking about power. It's a huge <laughs> indulgence. <laughs> um, how do you take that advice and apply it to yourself? Or, you know, looking ahead and, and kind of what your goals are for future things you want to write or produce or whatever. What What is your kind of trajectory, do you think? or hope hope for you should be like a a life coach thank you this is this is good reflection time i would love to be part of a multi-season show Mm -hmm. so i know sometimes that's just luck Mm -hmm. uh but also that's that's hard work and just taking you know shots on goal is sort of the the flimsy metaphor for it but trying to make sure always creating something and then something hopefully I care enough about that if it goes it deserves the time and attention that it will take Mm -hmm. um I think long term I'd love to do I'd love to adapt a book Ooh. oh wow and do you have a particular yeah (laughs) well I have sort of two sets of things I really like, which is some are books I remember from childhood that impacted me. And then I have a, I have a secret like sci-fi nerd Ooh. fantasy geek side. And it'd be really fun to work on something like that. Yeah. New or, Firefly, or I, new yeah. Firefly. <laughs> or I'd just be the person in the writer's room who's like, no way, that's awesome. And they're like, yeah, you're, you're here to work. And I'd be like, no, tell me more. <laughs> I just the worst writer such a fan girl. i mean let's be honest i think most of us would be that way you're gonna yeah. do what uh, oh yeah. oh that's so cool so like, we're talking two spaceships shit <laughs> shit two spaceships <laughs> no like i read that they're making or at some point 
also like whatever you read in the trades, like it's already happened seven years ago or it's never going to happen. That's sort right. of my take on all Hollywood press. Yeah. But it is, they're doing an adaptation of the three body problem. Do you guys know that sci-fi no. series? Somewhat. Oh, yeah. It is by a uh, Chinese author, Shi Xin Lu. And it is it's just super cool. But okay. I know I'd be the person who's like, yeah. Like, how are we going to show that math stuff, right? <laughs> I'm going to write it down. I'm curious now. Three body, oh, so good. Three the three book problem. series, highly recommend. Awesome. Do you have anything in the uh, in the works right now as far as something you're you're working on in quarantine? Because I'm not sure. Are you still filming, um, uh, was it Carol's second act? Carol's second act was not brought back for a second season. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, yeah. yes. But in... Um, in the way that it's sad because there were also wonderful people involved yeah. with that show. I, I feel whoever, everyone who is running and producing a show during coronavirus right now is a very brave, intrepid soul. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that is probably super hard. Uh, no, Carol's is not back. Uh, Emily and I wrote a pilot for CBS this year, which we're currently waiting to hear. We turned it in like last week and we supervised a pilot uh, by two very talented writers from the Tonight Show. And so they did the writing and we sort of, we were the Lee and Jean for them. Mm-hmm. You know, hopped in with advice, like this is how you shape it. This is what you need to do. And, but basically, you know, with the intent of giving their voice the greatest expression it can. And they're hilarious. So those two things are at CBS, we're waiting to hear. Um, I have high hopes. I mean, I know it's going to be a weird buying season. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I feel lucky that we were able to work on two things during quarantine, but I don't know, like, I've heard rumors that they're going to buy like two pilots down from, you know, 12 and that's nuts. Wow. But who knows? Or maybe they'll, I'll take it back a second for context. (laughs) The network television season tends to run like a school year. Okay. I was just going to ask. So like, yes, you, you sell your projects over the summer or in September, you are writing your pilots for them and going through the stages of outlines and getting notes and drafts, et cetera, through the fall you turn it in January-ish, they pick up pilots February, they make the pilots February, March, April. By May, they've decided on their fall lineup, they announce it at the upfronts, which is a bit of a holdover legacy because that is where they're showing advertisers. Mm-hmm. Like, here's our new fantastic fall lineup, come by advertising time. Then you start pre-production in the summer, then you're off to the production schedule, but that's the development schedule. Streamers develop entirely on their own time. HBO mm-hmm. develops on their own time. Right. Like the subscription services. I'm sure that also includes like Showtime and other stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's sort of two models. The mm-hmm. network one is more structured, but the pandemic could be finally the nail in that coffin, mm-hmm. which is not terrible because when you're casting a pilot and like 30 other shows are also casting a pilot, it's it becomes sort of like a reality show mm-hmm. because you need to cast the right person for the role, but also the people are being like snatched away. Like, <laughs> right. And I'm sure actors would love to have more opportunity to audition throughout the year and get on a pilot versus, yeah, fighting a bunch of other people. You know, there might be uh, more roles to go around if it was spread out more. Yes, definitely. And that same goes for staffing rooms. Mm -hmm. Like as opposed to everyone being hired in another frenzied sweep of hiring. Right. Um, But yeah, you know what? I wonder a good question for uh, your research staff, your deep research staff on your podcast. um, (laughs) No, what percentage of content is even made by the networks anymore? Uh, Like, I wonder what percentage of jobs is now outside with Netflix and Hulu and those sorts of things. Right, right. That's a good question, especially now the way everything, I mean, I don't know how the uh, HBO Max deal is going to do with, you know, same day as theaters, if other... I know Disney plus is going to go through the same thing and kind of mirror it for a little while, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see like just as much as you, how, how this shifts and how maybe even your career is, is affected if you have to pivot or if you, I mean, have you ever thought about bringing or trying to bring your comedic sensibilities and your talents to maybe a, a Disney plus show or um, you know, maybe even something on HBO max? Yeah. I mean, of course, at the moment we are um, we're under a, a deal with CBS Studios, mm-hmm. so our ex- our services are exclusive to exclusive. them. Okay. Uh, 
before that, though, we were with ABC Studios, and our services were exclusive to them. But there's a, just uh, again backing up for context. Some studios make content that they can only sell to their parent network or company. Mm. Many studios make content that they can sell multiple places. That business model may also change. Interesting. As the as everyone becomes these like vertically consolidated. Right. Like Comcast is owned by this, is owned by this, is owned by this. Like, right. They're these giant, like long slices of, you know, vertical slices of media companies. So it used to be ABC Studios could sell to Fox, could sell to CBS. And which seems confusing, right? Because it's named Mm -hmm. ABC Studios. Mm -hmm. Confusing, confused me (laughs) for a long time. Now, however, let's say you're ABC Studios, you have seven brands within your giant corporate parent company so you can sell to abc you can sell to disney plus maybe you can sell to fx fx is kind of its own special case they're really picky but you sort of see what i'm saying like everyone so now it might go back to these like separate companies that do things like warner brothers does not have its own station but warner brothers has a studio warner brothers produces a lot of the content for cbs the network right Warner Brothers sells shows everywhere. But then the question for Warner Brothers is in an era where everyone has their own distribution arm, where will they be? Mm-hmm. If you have a great show, you're going to have a great show and a great concept. Someone will buy it. But the pressure becomes a little more intense. Ooh. Interesting. Also, is- I'm sure there's some like actual Hollywood finance person who's like, that's all wrong. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. So this, is, this is person with like low level business understanding sure explanation that's fair hey that's all that's <laughs> yeah. probably all we can follow so it's fine <laughs> yes we have to bring out the squirrely dan you know allegedly is yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh what i mean we've talked a lot about studio involvement and getting project produced and and working for different studios uh, but I do want to ask, what do you do in your spare time, creatively or not, that you can, you know, use to to get away from the, <laughs> the you know, the the grind of your your current career? Um, that's oh, free time. Hmm. The thing after you have kids, you realize you're like, I spent so much time hungover having brunch. What was? <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Like just days of being like, oh, I'm so busy. Like you're not, you're not busy. You're just mm-hmm. not busy. Mm-hmm. That said, uh, no, in my free time, I love spending time with my family. Uh, for myself, during quarantine, I've decided I want to learn Spanish. Ooh. I had like a couple years in high school, but decided like, you know, now's the time. I live in a wonderful multicultural diverse city. I should be able to talk to more people, mm-hmm. raise my awareness. Um, and I like to read for fun. What kind of, uh, uh, is it all sci-fi stuff that you like, like to read? S- some nerd stuff. No, I have yes. a couple book clubs. Awesome. <laughs> yes. So I'm, I read pretty widely, I'd say. Yeah. I, I am in, in the middle of an awesome series by a writer named Naomi Novik, hmm. uh, which is, it's called the Temeraire series. Again, there's some fan out there who's like, Sarah? No. <laughs> it is... It is about a world, it's set in sort of like Jane Austen's England times, but there's also dragons. Ooh, that sounds great. Yeah. So I'm it's, into set that. In the, it's set in the Napoleonic Wars and there's also dragons, mm-hmm. but the dragons awesome. are sentient and like <gasps> have great personalities and That's they nice. can talk and they're really smart and in some ways better than humans. Yes. That sounds so, great. Dragons what? and Spanish. Those are my big takeaways. All right. I like that. I like Hiking. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge so cool. Jim Butcher, Brandon Sanderson fan myself. So I love all Wait, of those. Wait, I don't know those like, guys. <gasps> um, Jim Butcher is best known for The Dresden Files, which he is just released books, I want to say like 17 and 18. Um, but oh, it's that is a thing. commitment. I know. And I know. And it's, he's the plan is, I think, like a 20 book 
series followed by a trilogy to kind of wrap it all up um this is uh, i'm writing this down the dresden files should i i will preface it with um when he first started writing it was like his first series or and and story he ever came up so the very first few books are a little rough like you like the characters it's enjoyable but like the writing itself so not as polished as it's become but if you can read through those first couple books you're gonna get sucked right in it's great it's about a wizard in modern day chicago actually what uh-huh oh, um, i 100 love this already yes and and it just follows his crazy stories because he you know defies wizard law essentially and is like tells people he's an actual wizard and so like his job is to find things for people and this and that and whatever it's really great um and it's very funny he's very yeah um that's the TV show I want to make. Uh, well, they made it a long time ago, but it only got one season as well. Yep. And I always feel like it should. What is a long a... time ago? Uh, like two Def- two thousand nine. Was it over a was decade? It? Yeah, definitely okay. over a decade. I feel like. Okay, so there's yeah. an opportunity. Yeah, because yes, you guys absolutely. look very you look very young and fresh. So you know, <laughs> a long time ago was like three years. No, the- no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's my, I don't know what my routine is. I don't have it's one. It's your but. one degree walks, your one degree outdoor yeah. walks. Yeah. Yeah. Avocado yeah. and sub-zero temperatures. Yes. Uh, so yeah, you should definitely read Dresden Files. Um, That's and right. he also, Butcher also um, has a couple other series. My, actually my absolute favorite series, which you will definitely love because it's even more fantasy, is called Codex Alera. And that's a six book series written by the same author. Um uh, and then he's got a third series that he's working on, but much more slowly. Um, yeah, you should talk. The prodigiousness check out. of the output of those authors amazes yeah. me. I know. I know. It's crazy. Like, wow. Um, and there are, there's so many, so many of these authors would make great TV shows yeah. if the right writers came along to, to put them together, I think. Yeah. Uh, those sound great thank you yeah so sarah you might have to you know do some research and start uh-huh. drafting up some more uh some more pilot scripts absolutely yeah. <laughs> i mean a wizard in chicago like sold like, uh yeah yeah you you will love it um that does actually bring up a question though that i've been thinking about is you know you label yourself as a comedy writer would you ever test or have you ever tested the waters in drama or in not necessarily comedy forward stuff or is that not really your wheelhouse at all it is not my wheelhouse yet let's say because i think a lot of comedians end up working their way over to more dramedy material or comma Mm -hmm. comma (laughs) (laughs) Um, no it's not something i've done or certainly not something i've shown people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's fair yeah what about uh, directing? I know it's not really your your forte as we've learned so far, but I, do you have any ambitions of as far as, you know, you want to adapt something into a TV show or a film? Have you thought about directing anything? I would feel comfortable directing in television mm-hmm. because it is such a team effort. I've seen how it works. It's very collaborative and I love working in team settings. Like it gives mm-hmm. me a lot of joy and fun. I think that's one of the reasons I was drawn to improv over stand up because mm-hmm. I love the the group. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, in TV, I, I would never fancy myself like, oh, I have a brilliant new aesthetic, mm-hmm. but I do think I could tell a story, hopefully competently. <laughs> I like that. I like yes. that. Yes. Dig it. Do you have um, a favorite story that we like to call, you know, your party story to kind of tell people Mm. who aren't in this business at all, like what your job is like that to them is insane. But for us is, yeah, that makes sense. That would happen. (laughs) Gosh, it's so funny. It's like one of those things where I suddenly realize I'm in a cult and I've been conditioned and I'm like, yeah, sure. A lot of crazy (laughs) stuff has happened, but I can't. Yep. We had, you know, the person to talk to. So on every set there is, and I'm not saying this because like I have some great story I'm hiding from you, but on, <laughs> I'm waiting for it to like, to percolate, well, I think, but on every set, there's a person named a script coordinator mm-hmm. and their job is to literally on a set, a TV set is to sit with the script and they have to keep track of continuity, like who had what prop when, or honestly for TV shows, it's like, was your hair over your mm-hmm. left shoulder? Was your hair over your right? Like all of those things. 
plus the lines, plus what angles the director is taking. Like it's this all consuming job. But most of the script coordinators I've met have the craziest stories. Like they have lived. And I don't know why, like the profession tends to be female. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's like a, a gender stereotype, like, oh, females are detail oriented or something. I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I've heard some, there's some stories. That's and amazing. Honestly, like, you see like quaaludes. Oh, buying, buying cocaine and having to drive it back in an actor's Rolls Rolls Royce. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> and this is like a 75 year old woman telling me this story. And she's like, ah, then I had to go over the hill <laughs> in his rolls and pick up a bag, which I later discovered was full of cocaine. Drive it back. You don't. And I was like, that's horrible. Like you could have been arrested for, and she's like, oh yeah. Oh, I was so mad at him. <laughs> great, great stuff. That's awesome. Oh. Honestly, you describe that job, and because I'm a stage manager in oh, theater, yes. that's ex- like sounds ex- like exactly what I would want to do if I were to switch to TV and film. Partially it, it, because of you know, then I could go pick up cocaine bags, but mostly because there's so much I would cocaine love bag to do detail. Um, Steph, you're five years sober. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Um, first of all, if you are five years sober, congrats. That's freaking amazing. Um, I'm not, but thank you. I never, never even dabbled. Scares me way too much. Hey, pixie Uh, sticks count, Steph. uh, (laughs) Uh, No, there is actually, there's totally a parallel between those two. Yeah, stage managers are the bomb. Thanks. You're awesome. I like it. It's a lot. We had our our stage manager. A personal story, though? I'm trying to think personal story you can even be from when you were in second city it doesn't have to be super recent just God, like... for an improv comedian i'm so bad about being on the spot <laughs> <laughs> yeah you could have just made something up and we would have believed you <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think like we're totally keeping this in by the way <laughs> yeah this i was like can you edit out a 30 second pause <laughs> no i don't like every i feel oh, like i'm fair. thinking of these like macabre examples like that's okay no that's... you know what? we'll just have to bring you on at some point in the future and see right. if maybe a, if a I story remember. came back yeah Anything. that's all right it's just sometimes you know you hear i've heard you know, I've had friends who lived in Chicago and I considered moving there um, when I realized I didn't want to be in New York anymore. Um, but I've heard that it's a tough town to kind of break into. And you can, like, I had a friend who lived on 7-Eleven hot dogs for like months at a time because he couldn't afford <gasps> anything else and stuff like that, you know? So um, I just... Well, I will say that there's um there's something very special about spending two years in your 20s in a van with you know there were mm-hmm. six six members of the cast when i was touring and then the stage manager had to drive us wow everywhere yes and so that's also an extra and once well things could get like you know we're all adults with our own points of view and things could get pretty heated i once had a meltdown because i lost a settlers of Catan game <laughs> oh, no. but like it was one of those come from behind like shad kunkel had like eight points oh that's not a great story. I'm going to think of something better. Okay. <laughs> I still like it. I actually, I, during the beginning of quarantine, I was very heavily into playing Settlers online just because mm-hmm. I had nothing else to do with my life. Um, and I get it, but that's harder because you're playing against like 13 year old boys that think they're the shit. And then it's just, you, you yes. can't. Oh yeah. No, anything online. <laughs> yeah. You're going to run into a 13 year old boy somewhere. Yep. And it's just yep. like, it's going to be terrible. Oh, well, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as a, uh, as as we wrap up, because we don't want to take up too much of your time, but you know, I, I had <laughs> after asked... I couldn't think of a good story, you want? Yeah, to... it's all right. <laughs> we're done. Yeah, well, it's it's that's his nice way of saying we're done with you. You couldn't, you know, you it. couldn't fit. Couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's weird. And this, uh, you know, as I started to reach out to people who who have you know these these further developed careers and you know have PR and management teams, I'm so worried about getting an email saying, "Hey, remember." it's just going to stick to 1130. You know, you right, can't go past right. an hour. So that's my biggest fear is like, you're going over. Uh, but I, I did want to, you know, just ask you, 
know, I, I asked uh, for any advice as far as a screenwriter, but do you have any creative advice for somebody who is either looking to get into the arts industry now or has been in the arts industry for a while, anything you could pass along that can maybe, you know, further their, uh, their pursuit of their craft in these, these very crazy times right now? Again, very boring. The more specific you can define your goal, mm. the more specific steps you can take. Because mm -hmm. I think there's just too much of like, just keep going and never give up. Like, that's a lot of, yeah. sure, like that is important. But I think if you have a, if you break it down into smaller steps in terms that's of what advice. you want to get, it can be more achievable. Yeah. And then the second thing I would say is like, enjoy the journey. Yeah. Like I had a lot of fun in when, in years I was making $180 a week mm -hmm. and I had less or fewer, fewer responsibilities and, you know, only myself to take care of, but those were good times. And so I think there's different, there's satisfaction. There, there should be satisfaction to be had in the moment. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't like what you're doing right now, or you're like, why am I doing this? I'm only doing it for the future. Like then you're not doing the right thing right now. Right. I don't think that's boring at all. No, that's, not at that's all. That's one I of the best pieces of advice we've had. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck yeah. You redeemed yourself. Back from the start. All my stories are like, so this one time I got so drunk and then this happened. Like, I, I really don't drink very much at all anymore, but for yeah. a long time. I don't know. I feel like my Hollywood stories are just me being like, I can't believe I'm here. Like, Bradley Whitford's over there. That's great. Yeah. Who's okay. the most famous here's, person here's you've a funny, met? Here's yes. a funny story. Yes, 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 okay. yes. They have these things called the TCAs, the Television Critics Association. Okay. And they happen twice a year. And what they do is they get like all the TV critics from around the country, the networks and every channel, and they'll have multiple days of presenting their new shows with like panels. So you'll if you have a show premiering, you go sit on a panel. In the fall, it's like these, uh, this, at the Beverly Hilton, like 300 people. And they ask questions about the show. And it's kind of boilerplate press PR stuff. And you're just, you know, if you're, if you're not the actor, you're just trying to get through it without like saying something too stupid. <laughs> In the spring, it's a little more casual, the event. And they often have it at this hotel in Pasadena, like the, and so for Trophy Wife, we were going to like a mixer to like meet with journalists and talk with press. And uh, Bradley Whitford lives in Pasadena. He's gonna love that I'm telling the story. And we were like, we're gonna pick you up on the way to the event. And we got there and there was some sort of like weird yard construction going on in his house. And we couldn't figure out like, so there was a gate and we're like, oh, we can't get to the front door. And he wasn't answering his phone. So I ended up sort of going up the driveway and coming around into the backyard and then was sort of like sneaking through his backyard. And I, I got to a back door and at some point I let his cat escape. <laughs> and then he came out and was like, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, I'm so sorry, we couldn't open your front door and you weren't entering your phone. And he was like, I was unloading groceries. And we're like, okay. But basically I was, I was sneaking around the back of his house in like a cute little like cocktail dress being like, we can't be late for the journalists, like walking through his recently new landscaped yard. And I was like, that was a good, that was fun. I love that. I honestly, I was a little scared that you were going to be like, and then I found out it was not his house. And it oh. was like, Robert. <laughs> yes. No, he had like a lovely house in a, you That's know, a nice amazing. neighborhood. And but yeah, stuff like that. I've totally had to do stuff like that before. And other people are like, I would never, but yeah. you got to do what you got to do to get, get to places. I was like, we got to go save this show with some really good chit chat at the cocktail party. <laughs> that was like my driving. Like if we don't save the show. <laughs> I'm sure he hasn't forgotten about that. Right. Or, or he's blocked it out. <laughs> his cat is fine, by the way. His cat is fine. Maybe his cat was in the backyard and I opened the gate because I don't think I opened the door to his house. That seems right. presumptuous and I would yeah. remember. That's what I pictured. Yeah. <laughs> like That's you so walking funny. inside. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Uh, also, there was some sense that I was stepping on like a gardening project that was happening. It was all really <laughs> stressful. But I think every time I do anything here, I'm always in a little bit of a state of wonder. Like, I can't believe I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. I think that that's really cool to hear as well, because 
you know, it's so easy to get jaded, I think sometimes, or, you know, uh, fr frustrated with the process, be just like anybody with any job, but our jobs are kind of so magical that it's nice to be able to hold on to that, I think. Yeah. We once had an office where we had been relocated the writer's room several times. Now that the story bar is slightly lower. Uh, <laughs> and there was a kitchen, but like with no which was actually not a kitchen. It was like a copier room that someone had put a fridge in and it was right next to the writer's room. But the upshot of this story is all professional adults being paid to do this job. And yet next to a room that filled up with trash in about 30 seconds and had no sink, just a room of trash, mm -hmm. like eight people, like, you know, 10 people. <laughs> we're like, we ever going to leave this trash room? We're like, probably not. No. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. That's funny. There has you guys to be... read actually, um, oh, what's the name of the book? It's by uh, Tom Lennon and his writing partner. Oh, um, the the writing movies book? Yes. How to yes. write movies for profit. Fun and, and profit? Yeah, fun and profit. Absolutely. That movie, or not that movie, that book has a description of where you have to park at every studio <laughs> and what that means for your relative status that is so funny that is brilliant that's awesome and that basically that book is actually fantastic for structure too and i highly recommend it but um yes ben garant right writing movies for fun yes on a profit but uh the parking garage it's worth it's worth a read just for the parking garage yeah right, <laughs> right. thank you for mentioning that book because i've i've wrote or uh you know I've, I've offered that book to several people who are looking for screenwriting books and look at it and they go it's not blake snyder i'm not reading that you know I, no no <laughs> It's it's great. It's wonderful. It's yeah, it's amazing. a really wonderful book and really thoughtful. Uh, do you have anything that you want to plug as far as anything that's that's coming up? Personally, maybe you you figured out how to make the perfect souffle or maybe you're working on, you know, like we, we're like, considering uh, any quarantine achievements, yeah, big achievements, achievements right now, yes, absolutely. Um, you, you know, outside of uh, your career as well. But is there anything that that you wish to plug for your episode? Well, you know, if you feel inspired to revisit some Trophy Wife episodes by yeah. listening to this, that's cool. That would be cool. I, you know, you made me think like I'm going to, my daughter's old enough to see them now. All right. And I think I'll, I'll show them to her. Yeah. So that would be fun. Um, let's see. She's going to the dentist in a couple of weeks if it doesn't get canceled again because of COVID. So okay. fingers crossed. I might even go to the dentist. You guys have a lot of teeth care. Is happening. Yep. Yes. I like it. All right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so that's actually a good one. Go to the dentist, people. Get your teeth yeah. cleaned and checked. It's important. Yeah, look, they take good precautions anyway, hopefully, because yes. their hands are in your mouth. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just had a picture of like someone with scuzzy nails and. Uh. I I do have a memory of going to a pediatric dentist, and I remember him sneezing into his like his elbow and his shoulder, and then oh. going right back into work in my no! mouth. I was too young to realize what was going on. But you just reminded that was a repressed memory. Oh my god! Yeah, you need to unpack that. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll tell my therapist all about it. But yeah, um, no, really. Oh, you know what? I've done. I've been in therapy. It's great. Yep. Have you? Yep. Oh, therapy. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's yeah, great. I agree. I can what be a very anxious person. Very anxious. I, uh -huh. I I feel like a lot of a lot of you know creative people have you know, higher anxiety levels mm -hmm. than, than most. And, mm -hmm. uh, what do you journal at all? Are you a, are you a journaler? No, I was a journaler when I was younger. Okay. But yes, okay. there's, um, <laughs> notes on your phone in the middle of the night. Does that not count? That counts. I mean, I think it our, counts now. We, we had just had a guest that said the <laughs> yeah. same thing. He texts oh, himself. So you're good. I sometimes yeah. text myself ideas. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> No, I think, yeah, my takeaway, yes, for everyone is like, don't neglect your basic medical care during this pandemic. Absolutely. Get those mammograms, go to the yeah. dentist, see your doctor. <laughs> Important. I like it. I like it. That's my public service. Thank you. And watch Trophy Wife for and your mental health. Trophy yes. Wife and laugh about yeah. mixed up families. I love that. Can't wait to rewatch that. Well, uh, Sarah, thank you so much for coming yeah. on. This is you guys a have a blast. Fun. Tell Yay. me if you ever come to LA when there's in when there's people again who Absolutely. do things together. Yes. yes. That Absolutely. would be fun. Yes. I've been to LA once and it was for like six hours. So I'd love to come back and actually, you know, put put some miles on. What does that mean? 
Yeah, put some no. miles on. Put some miles on. Put some miles on the city, on, the on your feet. Of, yeah. <laughs> Get uh, put the rubber to the miles on the road. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Sarah, thank you so much. This is great. Um, it's so fun to, to just talk to new and different people every week. Uh, we really thoroughly enjoy it and you you are just at the top of the roster with all of our other guests it's kind of like a straight line there's no you know uh you're all 100 so <laughs> well thank you and you guys are delightful interviewers and i i feel i feel like i'm like oh this has been so one-sided i need to get to know tyler and stephanie so next Aww, time we'll turn next time next you'll have time. to come back we want to get yeah. uh, emily on here too yeah, yes that'd absolutely be great. Yeah, absolutely yeah. Yeah, Emily's got like a whole different awesome set of experiences. Yeah, that'd be great. She was that'd David be... Mamet's assistant for a while. She's got some. <gasps> okay, yeah, we definitely need to talk what to her. What is <laughs> happening right let's now? Let's be frank. Emily is more interesting than I am. Oh, stop it. I don't no. believe Have that. you seen your headphones? Uh, exactly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that you're a nerd just like the rest of us, mm-hmm. uh, it, I feel much better about because I, I have a tendency of reading like sci-fi novels from my youth, so... Uh, yeah. I'm glad that there's no judgment here. Mm-hmm. No at judgment. All. No. Um, perfect. So, uh, Steph, this is your. Uh, this, this is, is my your time point. to shine. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'll do that part again at some point in the future. But that's no way worries. Too much I sprung it on you last memorize. time. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, thank you so much um, for being here with us, and and we hope that you're continuing to enjoy this as much as we are. Um, please, please like, subscribe, um, rate, and review us on all podcast platforms or whichever one that you listen to. Or if you want to go to each podcast platform and rate and review us that would be awesome too you know um the more (laughs) the more positive feedback we get uh the more people get to hear about this um and if you do um rate us and review us and you want a free uh pwrp sticker we'd be happy to send you one just send us an email at pwrp.pod at gmail.com to let us know where you rated reviewed us and uh and where we can send you that sticker um also if you happen to be um flowing in money somehow unlike the rest of us and you would like to support us financially we do have a patreon page um so you can check that out and uh the more patrons we get the more uh extra benefits we'll be able to give to you guys so um yeah tyler yes this is my easy part i love it uh, <laughs> <laughs> and if you would like to be a guest on our podcast whether you're just now entering the arts industry you have a passion for it or you've been in the arts for a very long time we'd love to have you on the show and talk to you and get to know your uh story and overall personality uh, so if you feel like you'd want to hop on please email us at pwrp.pod at gmail.com we'll get back to you easily within 90 seconds because we're both very underemployed and having a lot of fun doing this so yes. uh yeah without further ado i think it's time for an awkward goodbye sarah are you ready yes <laughs> she's like there's a I little bit of fear in there uh-huh. like, is there just, a ritual i don't know about you just say goodbye as awkwardly as possible all right goodbye bye, bye. bye. <laughs>